Hey, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. One of the other partners, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, is across from me. And uh, between us, laying comfortably on the floor, curled up as he often does, is Duncan, one of the office dogs who regularly arrives uh, and spends our, his day with us. Um, although Duncan has a kind of a shortened work day usually, doesn't he, Elizabeth? He's about eight and a half now, Robert, and he's been coming to work since he was about eight weeks old. So Duncan is, uh, he's quite an expert with the laws. His billable rate is one bone an hour. <laughs> and uh, at his rather advanced age, he probably has to go home a couple hours early each day. I know that, I know that Doug comes, your partner, your, your husband, we can actually use Let's that just word. call him my better half. That's really what it is. <laughs> Comes and picks up Duncan because he wears out some days. It's true. And, and one of the things we were talking about, Robert, today was, you know, what are Doug and I going to do as we age to make sure that there is money set aside to pay for whatever pet is in our life at the time of the surviving spouse? Um, you and, and Rhonda and your family have had pets through the years, and You know, people come in to meet with us sometimes, Robert, either to interview us as fiduciaries or as estate planning clients to talk about pet trusts. Um, Usually when somebody brings up the phrase phrase pet trust, I kind of grimace um, because those can be really complicated and and not that easy to to administer. But I thought maybe we could talk about that today. You know, Elizabeth, in my experience, most people who say the phrase pet trust really mean I want to set aside a sum of money, and often it's a generous sum of money, $10,000 or $20,000 even, to make sure that whoever takes my beloved dog or cats or whatever, whatever pets I have, will will be able to, to, to love them like I do, take care of them, and not have to lay out their own money for, for a pet that I left to them. Uh, and that's that's not really a pet trust. It's a great idea if there's somebody who you can trust to uh, to take care of your pets after you're gone. Uh, but it's not really a pet trust. It's just an informal arrangement. But what if instead of a dog or a cat, your devoted companion is a cockatoo or a desert tortoise or an elephant? I don't I haven't met a lot of people who have elephants as pets. Or what about a horse or two or five? Right. Um, I think. And, and, and we're picking up on longer lived pets mostly. Duncan that, Duncan is unlikely to outlive you and Doug. That's right. And Robert, I will tell you, I not that long ago had a case referred to us and I met with a woman. She has dozens of cats and multiple homes for her cats. And she has a very elaborate plan. Um, she intends to make sure that where her cats reside on her death is where they can stay and what was interesting robert is she came with the understanding in our meeting that this was going to be very expensive meaning it was going to be more than a thousand dollars a cat a year to administer that really she needed to think about the upkeep of the real estate who was going to be taking the cats to the vet i mean she'd really extensively thought about this and um I, you know, really commend her because so many people, when they think about their pets and they want to leave money aside, Robert, I think don't always consider the real cost because the real cost involves the administrative piece of things. If Doug and I left a sum of money, let's just say it was 
$40,000 or $50,000 to care for any pets at the end of our life, to pay for someone to help oversee the care of the pets. One of the issues we have to think about is, well, right now with interest rates, you know, I don't know if I'd want all 50000 just kind of sitting there in the bank. And maybe I'd want to make sure somebody bought a CD and at least earned some income. But hold on, then would there need to be a tax return? Yes, there would. Uh, and and uh, this is why pet trusts, this kind of confusion, is exactly why pet trusts were not even legal under most states' law until relatively recently. Um, they, were, they were often called honorary trusts. <clears throat> why honorary trusts? Because they didn't have a, a human beneficiary. Um, there's another category of honorary trusts that will give you an idea about the way lawyers think about these things. And that's a trust that you set up for uh, for someone to go tend to your grave or maybe your mother's grave once a month for the rest of time and eternity. Um, and, uh, and, and so there's no real beneficiary of that. Those trusts just were not permissible until, as I say, relatively recently. Now they are. So, Elizabeth, good news. You can set up that trust for the benefit of whatever pets you might own at the time of your death, um, but there needs to be a trustee. There needs to be somebody who files tax returns and does accountings. Oh, wait, who do the accountings go to? What happens to the money when the last of your pets dies? Or do we, do the, does the money stay for the benefit of all um, white golden doodles in the county of Pima, Arizona, for the for the rest of time, oh, I just gave away Duncan's uh, Duncan's particular tribe, didn't I? <laughs> yes. Well, I think these are great questions, Robert, and they're questions that I think people, some folks, think through in detail. Others, maybe not so much. When I meet with somebody who is aging, and the person has an animal with some critical health conditions, this question of how much is enough comes up a lot. And of course, that's really preference and and what somebody's comfortable doing. But I always try and remind people that there can be and there should be at least some kind of remainder beneficiary, whether it's a charity or an individual who would receive any remaining funds in the trust if they were creating a trust for the benefit of a pet. And so sometimes that makes people a little more comfortable leaving more money. What I tell folks is, just simply thinking I'm going to fund a trust with $10,000 for my pet, well, it's a fantastic idea administratively is just not workable. It isn't because the administrative costs will consume that money pretty quickly. On the other side of the equation or spectrum, though, if you, if you leave too much money to a pet trust, one of the unique characteristics of pet trusts is that the probate court is permitted to adjust the amount of money. And the kind of famous case illustrating that is the, the Leona Helmsley estate. She left, if I remember the number right, she left $5 million or some very large amount of money to take care of her dog, Trouble, who, uh, who was at the time of her death not too likely to live a lot of years and in fact ended up only outliving her, her by about uh, three to five years, as I recall. And the court in New York said $5 million or whatever it was, maybe it was even more than that, is just too much money. And so we will reduce Trouble's trust to a, a still generous number that will certainly take care of him th- for the rest of his life. And of course it did. Um, so you, you don't want to put too much money into a pet trust for a child, for a, a child, for a, for a l- beloved pet, uh, your fur child, I guess. 
Um, but uh, on the other hand, you don't want to put too little money into it either. With all of that confusion, I think, Elizabeth, I said at the beginning that most of my clients who think about this end up just leaving a sum of money to a person with the instruction that they're to take care of the pet. Is that your experience as well? Yes, and normally, Robert, that's really where I try and, and get folks to focus their attention. That is what I, I think is usually most straightforward to administer and will kind of free up the funds for the benefit of the, the animal the fastest, right? When when we see the remainder beneficiary of an estate be something like a pet trust, well, holy smokes, you might need to wait months until you fund that thing. There might be a period of time where somebody might not actually have the funds on hand to you know pay for all of the kinds of expenses that might be needed, particularly when we start thinking about animals like a horse, right, where there's boarding, there's really significant overhead to care for the animal. It's important that there be funds available really immediately. So we like to have these conversations with our clients about the practical realities. We're not, uh, we're not in any way opposed to pet trusts. We, we write them. We have even been named as the trustee of pet trusts. We're happy to do that. But, uh, but we want to make sure that people understand what they're getting into and what their alternatives are and to try to come to a reasonable arrangement that fits your circumstance. And, of course, one of the very hardest things with pets is guessing what your pet situation will be at some future date when you die. I said that you, are, you and Doug are both probably going to outlive Duncan, but if Duncan died... I'm going to guess that you guys would take a little while and end up with another white golden doodle because you so love Duncan. Maybe two. Maybe a, maybe brother and sister who, who could entertain each other. Well, Robert, I think that that's, that's, him, that's ambitious. Uh, Duncan is, is really, um, he's given us some experience, and we're not sure if we'd be able to take care of two at once. <laughs> then again, Doug and I don't have any children, so our hearts are very open to Duncan. I think when I meet with people who do not have children or who may not have a partner, um, they really want to have an animal with them as long as possible. And I will tell you, I certainly fit in that category and plan to make sure that part of my care plan involves a care plan for my animal because I really can't imagine aging even when I'm at that point where I may not be able to leave my home without the companionship of an animal. So I've already started a little savings fund for for that chapter in my life. And um, we know that our case managers really do look at caregiving and that care plan, including people's animals. So lots to talk about on this, Robert. In fact, one last observation I want to make is that we are so attached to pets and the idea of pets at Fleming and Curdy that when you come in and talk to us about your pets, one of the things we will encourage you to do is allow us to put something in your powers of attorney to make sure that your pets can be taken care of while you're still alive if you're not able to make the decisions yourself. And if you're going to create a, a living trust, we want that trust per, to have a provision that authorizes your trustee to take care of, of your dog or cat or horse or parrot or, or tortoise or whatever. Um, using your money so that there's no issue of a breach of duty as well. So come talk to us about your pets. That's, uh, that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on, uh, on being attuned to. Speaking of pride, I don't think we've ever done lions. Not really any big cats even. So uh, 
bring them in. Let us, uh, well, don't bring them in. <laughs> Come in and talk to us about your lions or your panthers or whatever. No, I'm kidding. Of course, uh, pets are most often dogs and cats and sometimes horses and goats and, and other um, more typical kinds of pets and somebody needs to make plans for yours. Right, Elizabeth? Absolutely, Robert. Well, I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting about pets, including her pets, with Elizabeth Noble Rollins Freeman. We are two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed our chat about pets and will join us next week for Elder Law Issues. Thanks. <laughs>